It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, why is it doing that weird flush? I wonder if that means you're... Yell. Do you just try yelling? Bah! It means you're overmodulating, yeah. I think. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> The, the yell was quite kind of sheep-like. Well, we often have sort of sheep competitions in my castle. <laughs> sheep impression competitions. Are you usually the winner? No. My wife does a good sheep noise. Did you just walk back with a Christmas tree over your shoulder this morning? Um... Yes, we walked back with the Christmas tree. It's just from the local school, so... But how far? Ten minutes. Did you feel very manly? No, because Justine and I were both carrying it. Oh, I see. Are you a big tree guy? Uh, yes, but I, I, um, I gave up some years ago on trying to carry it due to my weakness, and I felt that when Sarah and I did it together, it took on a Laurel and Hardy component to it, so I just get them to bring it round now. We go and pick one out and then get them to drop it off later that same day. It's not the tallest tree in the world. It's a five foot, I think. So, Didn't Justine improvise last year? Uh, we did a sort of, that's right. Now you're remembering. What was it? It was a sort of, a kind of installation. It was like the Blue Peter Advent calendar. It was made with twigs or something. Yeah, something it? like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did I tell you Gene won a Blue Peter badge? No. He made a tea light for Diwali and then sent it in and a few days later got a letter from the editor and his picture was up you could see it on the wall on the telly so now we can get into uh, we can get into all kinds of attractions for free or at least he that's, can that's so that's so impressive yeah i know i never had a blue peter badge was, was he was he uh, pleased yeah he was uh, he was delighted with it yeah that is quite amazing. Now, I wonder whether the cop talks are going to get a Blue Peter badge, she said, making a sort of rather... Well, they have a... they have a Dodgy segue. They have a green Blue Peter badge, an eco badge. Uh, so maybe you could get awarded with one of those. So you, you got back from COP late Tuesday? I got back from COP uh, late Tuesday, that's correct. And from the conversation we had last week, it seemed to me like you were feeling encouraged that stuff was happening if not a little disheartened at the speed at which things happen. I sort of feel like we're making more progress than some people might have predicted a decade ago and far too little progress for what is required. But I thought I wanted to talk to you about this argument that's going to play out in the next few days about fossil fuels. Mm. Are you are you sort of broadly aware of this? Is it to do with how much carbon capture is Yes, you are well informed. But you know what's so interesting about this? It's it's made me think quite a lot. So there's this argument going on that that there's never been 
the coppers never had language on uh, fossil fuel phase out mm. on the phase out of fossil fuels. And, um, you know, just to give you a sense of this, according to the UN, uh, you, you know, we, we know that the burning of fossil fuels is the, the largest single contributor to uh, greenhouse gas emissions by a long, long distance. This is the sort of fun. This is the fundamental issue that we face. Um, and according to the, uh, According to the UN, countries are currently planning double the fossil fuel production than that than that is, is consistent with 1.5 degrees. So we're sort of we're kind of way off where we need to be. And there's a very good report from the Energy Transitions Commission, uh, which came out recently, which is a group of businesses and uh, civil society and others. But it, it's it's led by a guy called Adair Turner, Lord Turner, who was the chair of the Climate Change Committee in the UK, and that said that. Um, Coal use needed to fall by 80 to 85% by 2050, gas use by 55 to 70%, and oil use by 75 to 95%. Um, so that gives you a set to, to be consistent with uh, 1.5 degrees. So that gives you a sense of the sort of scale of what is required. Mm. Um, and there's never been language in uh, the COP around fossil about what happens to fossil fuels, about what should happen to fossil fuels. There has been language about coal. Do you remember two years ago at COP26, uh, there was language about a phase out of coal use. And then at the last minute, it got changed, I think after objections from India and China, to phase down. And Alan yes. Sharma got very emotional at the end of it. Um, and And so there has been language about coal, but not about fossil fuels. And so the sort of raging argument is this. Now, I'll come on to the abatement thing in a minute, but I tell you there's something interesting that has sort of occurred to me about this, which is most people think of these cops as well, the popular view of these cops is what do they achieve anyway? And we can sort of argue about that, and I've said that they're a good forcing mechanism and all that. But I suppose what's interesting is it's quite bitterly contested this question of the language that should be used. But that tells you, well, A, it's bitterly contested, but B, doesn't that also tell you something quite interesting, which is that even though this is not a legally binding process, in other words, a government can't be sort of taken to court if it if it doesn't abide by, by what the cop says, people do care about the outcomes a lot. Yes, because otherwise what I mean? they'd be signing other... up to anything. It would exactly, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then we can just sign up to any old nonsense, and then you know who cares? I mean, it's quite interesting, that isn't it? And it sort of made me, as I've been thinking about talking about this with you, I've been thinking, well, it does say something that countries really, and 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 somebody was saying to me yesterday, well, maybe it's about a signal to investors. I think it is partly that, but I think. I think countries obviously feel, well, look, if the world agrees on this, we're going to face a lot of pressure. Yeah, there's there's something about it, isn't it? It's like a, a, almost like um, holding each other to account in the way that a support group does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also obviously they will feel constrained. You know, they'll feel constrained by the. I, I think it's more that countries will feel once there's this agreement. Well, I think I think it does suggest that countries will feel that once there is an agreement to wording they're sort of bound in but that's so even though they're not even though, even though they're legal. not legally bound in yeah it's weird isn't it because 
you know, we've got used to the myth about, or not the myth, but the, the perception of politics being that politicians sign up to and prom- make all kinds of promises which they don't intend to keep. Uh, but obviously in this context... Now, now, then I was wondering, well, is it just the dynamic of these negotiations that lots of people are paid to be negotiators and so on and want to get the best for their countries? And in a sense, the sort of meta picture is that they're so in the weeds... They just think, well, we've got our own country's interests. Anyway, so there you are. But um, now, then there is this question about whether it should be unabated, phase out of unabated fossil fuels, or that that's the sort of new wording, that is a new word that has entered the, the debate. And that really says that carbon capture and other similar technologies can sort of play, can kind of get you, well, depending on who you believe, can get you out of the problem of fossil fuels or can play a role. Will you now, explain the difference between abated and unabated for us? Well, unabated is when you just burn uh, burn the fossil fuels uh, and abated is when is when you capture the carbon dioxide that comes from the use of the fossil fuels and you know, it doesn't go into the atmosphere, the carbon capture. It's whether you use the fossil fuels and then try to mitigate it or whether or it's whether you don't use exactly yeah yes exactly abated means you're using the fossil fuels but you're capturing the carbon uh and uh unabated means you're just using the fossil fuels and from Um, conversations we've had on the podcast it seems to me that capturing the carbon is okay short term but you're kicking the problem down the road right i think less kicking the problem down the road is i think carbon capture can well this is controversial, but but the people I speak to think that carbon capture can definitely play a role and definitely has a role um, because there are there are technologies that are going to find it really hard to get off fossil fuels where you are going to need a carbon capture solution. There are processes like cement making, for example. Um, I could live without but, it, but 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 uh, but but. If you use carbon capture, as some in the fossil fuel industry to do, to say we can just carry on with business as usual and it will all be fine, that's just that's what. If you look at this energy transitions report, they that they, they say actually, uh, crucially, the report dispels the notion that CCUS, so carbon capture utilization storage and carbon removals, which is another similar technology, justify business as usual for fossil fuel production. To limit global warming to 1.5 degrees, 65% of oil and gas reserves and 90% of coal reserves must remain untapped. So, so do you see what I mean? It's it's mm. it's 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 got a role, uh, and I think it's. I personally think it is important to think it has a role, and actually, the Britain is well placed to have for it to have a role through the North Sea and so on. But you can't use it to justify just business as usual on fossil fuels, and so that is the that is where the whole debate is is and and remember from last week the context is we're way behind where we need to be but so look i don't know we're speaking on sunday i don't know what the outcome will be from cop 28 it seems like there will be some from what people have said to me there will be some kind of language on fossil fuels but for countries like saudi arabia and others that is quite very controversial um even for a country like china it seemed controversial although apparently china from what i heard yesterday was uh more open to this uh, but I suppose then going back to what I originally, where I originally started, the question is whether it, you you end up with language that is just all things to all people. If it says a phase down of unabated fossil fuels, for example, well, 
that is maybe something because it's like they've never said it before, but it could just be interpreted a massive number of interpretations, presumably. Face down sounds a bit woolly. Yeah, well, that's where we end up with coal. And and uh, I mean, somebody I really respect who is the head of the International Energy Agency, his name is Fatih Birol from uh, Turkey. He he was saying to me at COP, look, you really need to say. You should you should not go into the phase down, phase out. Sorry, you should not go into the unabated, abated business. You should just be saying uh, you need to phase out the use of fossil fuels consistent with one point five degrees. So, so in other words, it's sort of you know that that allows for a role for carbon capture, but it doesn't get you into looking get like getting yourself off the hook because your benchmark is not abated, unabated, this, that, and the other. But it's sort of one point five. So, look, that is a – I mean, it does make me think, as I'm saying this to you, you know, the COP process is very – what's the right word uh, – questioned as to whether it's of any use at all. But it does make me think these discussions wouldn't be going on if there wasn't a COP. Yeah. Countries will be just noodling on with it. Yeah. As we said at the beginning, it does seem to put this peer pressure on. Peer pressure, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a sort of, like – what did you say? It's like an al- well, Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or Weight Watchers, except it's not anonymous. But yes, so we shall see the we shall we shall await. That's why you know how in the Grand National you say the pin stickers guide to the Grand National. That's my that's my pin stickers guide to the COP outcome. And wasn't there a thing with last year's COP where it it was supposed to end and then it just kept going? And um... they always go into extra time. The referee oh. always puts up a thing saying plus two days you know i don't think any cop has ever finished on time i just worry about the people working at the conference center they probably have to get the boat show in the next day or crofts or well something. i think there was a thing in glasgow where there was something big other event happening <laughs> and you didn't really want crofts or whatever it was to to sort of you know end up kind of running into the cop uh uh yeah so there we are um and next year it's going to be in baku aha that's as a big reveal that's a big reveal. So did, did it's like they, the Euro, did, it's like the Euro, it's like did the they win this Song year's oh, Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Wow. Uh, are people, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe there should be a sort of global phone-in to see who you know where. Although then you favour large countries. No, because it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't favour large countries in Eurovision, does it? Copper vision. Yes. <laughs> so whichever country does best Graham on its Norton, climate pledges Graham, that Graham, it gets the Graham, host of next year's. This is God. I think you are. I think you. You know, with that, with that eye for international diplomacy that is well known i think you might have hit on something who i, I sort of could picture it now graham should we see if graham norton's available yeah, for so after next to make week, snarky remarks i mean i mean it's going to be in brazil so i don't want to sort of i don't want to not have it in brazil but you know you think we could have copper vision as a as an idea for the future yeah yeah put it that in the suggestions box so rishi sunak would have to come on stage do one minute of performance and every country does a performance and then you have a sort of jury vote and a people vote absolutely this, this is exactly how i think honestly it and then they should go round all the countries you know i don't know much about these things but do you think that would be an attractive thing to have on mainstream television <laughs> i think it, i think it would i think it would increase public engagement in cop i mean maybe not by that much but <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should take it under advisement but you think it might i i think i'll i don't think i'll put it in the manifesto jeff if that's all well, right speaking but. of which speaking of which i sent you what i thought was an excellent policy idea this week and it went unacknowledged. I thought we'd given ourselves permission to have no acknowledgements. But this wasn't the thing for the podcast. This was this was me suggesting something oh, for, I for your manifesto. For yeah. So my policy idea was 
all toilets should be public toilets except those in private residences. So what that in other words, you don't have to go and ask when you go into a restaurant when, when you're desperate and you're yes. passing by a restaurant or a yes. pub or something. Yes. Hotels. Yes. Because I don't like the awkwardness of that. And then sometimes I don't want to do it and then I go in and I'm trying to look confident and I don't that doesn't come easily to me. And you're trying to figure out where the toilet I don't don't want any of that and I don't want to have the asking. I think that would be a vote winner. I'll pass it on. You're quite obsessed with these issues. I sort of vaguely, these kind of rings vague bells. I mean, yes, but this, 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 these are the issues that affect real lives. It's true. Now, did this did this come up because you had that ex- particular experience? Yeah, it was having to go in somewhere and ask to use the toilet, and I just feel like I'm Oliver Twist with this begging bowl. But do you not? Uh, so I think, and okay, this is me. So maybe they wouldn't be less likely to refuse me. Uh, because they think, because maybe they think I'm Rishi Sunak. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, people are generally quite okay about it, aren't they? It's very rare if people say no, you can't use the toilet. It has happened, or often there'll be a sign up on the door saying "toilets are for customer use only." Don't even think yeah. about asking. I find yeah. having a kid with me, you know, if I need the toilet, um, I will usually, if I'm with Gene, I'll pretend it's for him, so they'll just they don't ask any questions. Do we have any data on that? Public toilet presume public toilets have presumably gone down massively. They must have done, right? Yeah. I always thought those automatic toilets were going to be the toilets of the future. I know they were sort of a passing fad, really, weren't they? I think people were afraid they were going to get stuck inside of one when it went into its cleaning routine. Yeah, that was the whole thing, wasn't it? But I'm not just limiting this to to pubs and restaurants. I think office blocks as well. Well, that's interesting. Maybe it made for a more sociable world. Definitely. Do you think? Yeah. Well, look, it's just you're the font of good ideas, mainly about toilets. (laughs) (laughs) 45 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Now, what else have you got for us? Um, I was going to talk to you. You've, you've talked about fossil fuels. 
I was yes. going to just zone in on fossils. Fossils. Um, this was on Sky News. Scientists have discovered a rare dinosaur fossil, which they believe may shed new light on the eating habits of a close relative of the T-Rex. Uh, this is a dinosaur called the Gorgosaurus. It was a smaller cousin. It walked the Earth several million years earlier than the T-Rex. And they, they've discovered a, a juvenile Gorgosaurus fossil, and inside its stomach were the remains of two baby dinosaurs. 75 million years old, this thing is. And they could see that it had eaten the hind limbs. Quite extraordinary. Yeah, they, they could even spot, like, toe bones protruding Where was it found? from the ribcage. Where was it found? Canada. And that made me think that's something you only ever really see in cartoons, isn't it? The shape of something you've eaten inside your belly. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. But, but I also, you, you, your sort of fossil thing kind of then piqued my interest in the fossil situation. And there's a inter- really interesting BBC story about a fossil that is going to feature on David Attenborough's Oh, yeah, is it going to be on over the new year? And it's like a massive dinosaur that... Uh, Colossal sea mon- monster, pleosaur discovery, huge sea monster emerged from Dorset cliffs. The skull of a colossal sea monster has been extracted from the cliffs of Dorset's Jurassic coast. It belongs to a pleosaur, a ferocious marine reptile that terrorised the oceans about 150 million years ago. This thing is absolutely enormous. It's amazing. It's like a big head and its mouth is closed, which I think typically when they find these things, it isn't. So they've got a much better idea of what its jaw looked like. I mean, like. it's quite scary, isn't it? Mm. Can I just ask you this question? Do we know why the dinosaurs died out? Was it a meteor? Th- that's one of the theories, isn't it? But then how did they kill... What What about the ones in the oceans? Were they not protected? Maybe maybe the water got hot. I don't Do know, think- actually. I've not thought about the swimming ones. Because there are some things in the ocean that have been there for a long, long time, like coelacanths. I know this from watching Octonauts. Oh, we not love remember the this from the Octonauts. This is extraordinary. How this fossil skull was recovered is extraordinary. It started with a chance find during a stroll along a beach near Kimmeridge Bay on southern England's famous World Heritage Jurassic Coast. Steve Etch's friend and fellow fossil enthusiast, Phil Jacobs, came across the tip of the snout of the pleosaur lying in the shingle. Too heavy to carry, he went to fetch Steve and the pair rigged a makeshift stretcher to take the fossil fragment to safety. It's amazing. Would- I'd love to have been a paleontologist or an archaeologist. It's still time. You can go to night school. Don't you think it would be really exciting? Yeah. Have you ever been to that Jurassic Coast? I wouldn't even know what I was looking for. Not Well, I was about to say not knowingly, I think. Mm. Don't you think there's something sort of quite magical about it? Yes. I don't know if I would like to be discovered as a fossil millions of years into the future. I don't think you'd be kind of very conscious of it, though. No, uh, but I, I think it'd be embarrassing to like for this, uh, this Gorgosaurus, like everybody knowing what you've been eating. It's none of their business. I mean, it's just a, it is a sort of, I do, I do sort of, yeah, I I do think being an archaeologist or a paleontologist would be quite an extraordinary, quite a bit an extraordinary experience. Have you ever had a go on a metal detector? Probably, but. Does that hold any any appeal for you? Well, maybe. You think about a Christmas present for me. I love the idea that you're sort of discovering something that has just been hidden away for hundreds or thousands of years. I wonder how easy it is if you go to that Dorset coast. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. how easy it is to to just happen across a fossil. Or I I wonder if you've got to have the the eye for it and the... The smarts. Yeah. I think you probably need to have the fossil smarts. Um, 
Now, should we be asking for listener comments, do you think, Jeff? Yes, we should. Yeah, we said last week, actually, we'd really, uh, uh, really like to hear from you. So uh, you can... You can email us through the old website, cheerfulpodcast.com, uh, and the old email address is reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. We got this message from Caroline Benton Marsh, who says, uh, Hi, Ed and Jeff. There's at least one person still listening to the podcast. Aww. Thank you, Caroline. This is the real story behind the turkey pardon, a perennial bugbear for NPR's Domenico Montanaro and Kelsapriz. It's because of capitalism engineered Ooh. by the turkey lobby. Happy reading. Uh, worth mentioning, too, is that these poor animals are so horrendously bred for maximum breast meat that even once pardoned, they're condemned to a life of discomfort because of their unnatural unbalanced shape womp womp better have the nut roast instead absolutely caroline i'm with you so do you want to uh, do you want to hear some of this then yes okay so this is from the npr website so some things apparently never get old notably the strange tradition of presidential turkey pardons um the tradition of giving presidents turkeys to eat did start in 1947 which is the year i think i had it as um, but pardoning them is a more complicated tale. Uh, this comes from a tradition that ironically features an American president sanctioning an event sponsored by a lobbying group, which advocates the opposite of what actually takes place. It only became a formalised occurrence in the White House in the 1980s, but this dance between the turkey lobby and presidents started in the 40s. Back then, it was a more honest gifting of a bird for the president is family to eat at Thanksgiving. But death is a hard sell. Realising the awkwardness of the whole situation, John F. Kennedy broke the tradition in 1963. He said, I think we'll just let this one grow. It is this had a JFK thing? He didn't yeah, just... it had a sign round its neck saying, good eating, Mr. President. And he just thought, oh, I'm going to spare it. And I think that was where that tradition started from. Amazing. Well, there you go. And we should say, shouldn't we, that we'd like to hear people's views on our chatteroo. I think the sort of news is taking time to travel. Um, yes. But, we, but we've but we got – I sent you an idea yesterday, which is that we're going to have for our New Year edition. Uh, my He's my former teaching assistant, Ben Ansell, Professor Ben Ansell from Oxford University, who gave the wreath lectures. And I just thought to myself, oh, my goodness, you know, that is a very amazing thing to be doing, giving the wreath lectures. Isn't it great for people's careers when they stop working with you? I mean, it's quite remarkable how this takes <laughs> off. The leaving Ed bonus. Yes. It's like you're clipping their wings. Thank you. Like, no turkey yeah. metaphors there. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk to Ben Ansel. And I am quite interested. I sent you this link to the Taylor Swift studies at Harvard University. Yeah, but I just think you've got to be careful, Ed. I mean, what do you want to do with the second chapter of your life? Uh, do, do you want to be a paleontologist? Do you want to major Profes in Taylor Swift studies? Professor of Taylor Swift studies. So, so tell us some more about this. So here we are. A Harvard professor prepares to teach a new subject, Taylor Swift. Swift-inspired classes are sweeping colleges across the country. This is from the New York Times. The syllabus is much like what one might expect from an undergraduate English course with text by William Wordsworth, Willa Cather and Samuel Taylor Coleridge. But there's one name that might surprise budding scholars, Taylor Swift. In the spring semester, Stephanie Burt, an English professor at Harvard, will teach a new class, Swift, Taylor Swift and Her World. Nearly 300 students have enrolled. The wow. class is part of a wave of academic institutions around the country, including New York University and the University of Texas at Austin. 
Uh, Stanford has also invoked the Swift song All Too Well with a course plan for next year titled All Too Well 10-week version as opposed to 10-minute version. Uh, and Arizona State University offered a psychology class on Miss Swift's work. Um, Professor Burt, they then interview Professor Burt. And basically, she's asked a Harvard class about Taylor Swift feels right for detractors. And she says, this is a course that includes plenty of traditionally admired dead people who've taught in English, been taught for a long time. I not only admire, but I'm teaching in this course. Taylor's work is the spine. If you don't appreciate this body of songwriting and performance, that's not my problem. But they should remember literally everything that takes up a lot of time in modern English department was at one point a low prestige popular art form that you wouldn't bother to study. Yes, it's exactly that, isn't it? Like Taylor Swift is a huge cultural force today, and it's very easy to be sniffy about it. And I have to admit, I mean, I don't know much of her music. I think you know her music better than I do. I listen to Taylor Swift all the time now on my bike, actually. Have you had any accidents? I, <laughs> any accidents no, while I, listening I, to Taylor I, Swift? I, well, no, I do it with bone conductor headphones, as you know. The uh, but I need to kind of work out the different eras. I haven't quite. I'm not quite on top of the different eras. What's the current favorite? I don't really know. I, I just. They just sort of. You listen to it as if it was a symphony. I do. Yes, exactly. That's you, the right way to put it. Mm. It's just an easy thing to listen to when I'm riding my bike and wanting not to. You know, sometimes you have information overload. Do you know what I mean? I know, but you do sound like one of those politicians who says, oh, I'm a real Taylor Swift fan, and then you say, name a song, and then you can't. Don't, don't be horrible. What's you your favourite song? Oh, I don't know the names of any of the songs. Well, there's Cruel Summer, Antihero. I mean, there's, lot, there's lots that I like. There, there's this great song that she's got, which I'm going to find now, which is about... Um, if she was a man, how the all her relationships would have been differently analysed. It's called the man. Uh, the, you know, if she was a man, they'd be saying she'd be, you know, she was playing the field and it was all fine. And then, but actually, there's been a whole bunch of misogyny and held to different she's been standards. A woman, held to different standards. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, I'm learning my Taylor Swift. Great. Would you like to go to the cinema to see that concert film? I am quite keen to go and see it. Actually, it's still on, is it? I think so. Or well, presumably you could watch it. I don't know why I just asked you that, that like you have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that's on at the cinema. Taylor Swift. Time. I really want to go see that Wonka film. Actually, Justine was saying to me she wants to go and see the Wonka film. Well, it's written by the Paddington guy or directed uh, by the Paddington guy. so it's going to I be told good. you, didn't I, that when I, my kids were small, I took them to the Paddington one and it was a trauma. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. The hypodermic needle. Yes. Uh, have you seen the other two Doctor Who's or not? Yeah, I'm all up to date with Doctor Who. I'm not up to date because of the, because of the UAE. Oh well, you, you're in, you're in for a treat. Why don't you go and do that now after you finish trimming your Christmas Righty tree? Righty tighty. I think we're sort of at the end of this conversation, aren't we? I know you, you <laughs> just want to go decorate your Christmas tree, don't you? I'm going to go cold water swimming actually. What you're going to leave it. leave your family to decorate the tree? I have. I did my bit by carrying the tree. Uh, I I I haven't been for two weeks. Oh well, you better I'm get slightly worried. Better go and take the plunge. Literally. All right. Well, more chatteroo next week. Good to talk. Bye bye. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.